Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Fast and Furious Part 6, because we've got a lot of these movies to get through. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you focus on one of these videos on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we are just Fast and Furious-pilled, I guess. Like, that's all we're doing right now. We're, we're, we're doing Fast and Furious stuff. Um, yeah, so, Would I don't know, today's... today's can, can we make faced and furious pilled work? <laughs> yeah, like faced and red pill, <laughs> fast and, and furious pill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this, I, I guess I want to, I can, I want to open this by saying this is the meat. This is the meat and potatoes. Okay, we're past all of the setup, getting everything in position. Right, Fast Five gets the crew together. Now they're together, and we're just cooking with gas. Okay, you know, like. <laughs> So, buddy, I'm going to sit here, and, and you told me that 5 is the one that everyone loves. Yes. Buddy, this may be the best dumb movie that I have ever seen. <laughs> yes! Yes! Honestly, there is so much just unbridled joy on screen. This is one of the things that I think that I think translates. They, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about spoilers, but they loved shooting this movie. You can tell. They were like, I cannot wait to do this thing. And it's going to be this sort of like, it's very like himbo energy. You know what I mean? Golden retriever energy. Just like sweet and dumb. And, but just trying its best. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's all. They just want to have fun. Yeah. No, I mean like every once in a while I'd be like, <laughs> This doesn't make any sense. I remember, ah, I'm watching Fast and Furious. I need to stop thinking about that. <laughs> and just, like, let it happen. Because, like, the, I love this movie in the same way, honestly, that I kind of love, like, um, like, fucking, like, like, The Room, right? Like, like. <laughs> like wow. Maybe, okay. Maybe not quite that bad, but, like, this movie is just, like, dumb, stupid, fun, and I love it. Right? Like. Yeah. Um, people told me that, like, these movies eventually turn into superhero movies. I, like, this is the first movie where I felt that, that was really true, right? Like, if yeah, I'm going to absolutely. put the divide, like, put the th reason why I like this better than, than five, I think that five was still trying to be too grounded, right? Like, six... <laughs> Yeah, I do. Have, yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody once described the Fast and Furious series as Axe Body Spray's Ocean's Eleven, yeah. um, which feels kind of correct. But I actually think that maybe at this point I would say it is Axe Body Spray's The Avengers, right? You know, because like the, I mean, every the meme is they go from stealing DVD players in Los Angeles, right, to fighting international terrorists. There's a jump between Fast Five in Fast Five. They steal a hundred million dollars from a Brazilian crime lord. Okay, right. so you know, at the end of the day, that is not super realistic. We would all ag agree that's not super realistic. They are still executing, you know, stunts with cars. Their superpower is driving cars, right? Um, but this is the thing that makes the jump from we're stealing stuff to we're fighting international criminals, right? Like, you know I mean? we're, we're saving the known world, right? And we're, you know why we're doing it, Mango? Why is that? For family. Yeah. I mean, this is, 
also the movie where they suddenly start caring about civilians, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, I you just kind of have to because okay, uh, we we have to get to the spoiler section because <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this scene. Anyway, you, you uh, know what? high level you know, stuff. I'm, high I'm, level I'm, stuff. I'm gonna put the spoilers warning right here because. This movie is so fucking unbelievable that, like, you should watch it without being spoiled, right? That you, is true. That's true. I think I I think I agree with you. You Actually, will keep I watching it and you will keep being like, what the fuck is happening, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, there are certain reveals that just, like, crop up and you're just like, oh, my God. That doesn't make any sense, but I get it. Right. Anyway, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about yeah. spoiler, spoiler set. But before we get there, okay. because I, I want to encourage people to get off of the podcast and come back later after they have watched Fast and Furious 6, where does this rank? Is this above Tokyo Drift? Oh, because man. of its insane, intense stupidity? I, I kind of want to watch Tokyo Drift again, right? Like, it's <laughs> like right now, the mango machete order for the Fast and Furious films is six, then three, right? Because you get, like, I, I sent you this while I was watching. It's like, they recap the first five movies in, like, the opening of, or the, mm-hmm. you know, one, one, two, four, and five in the beginning of this, right? And then, you know, three chronologically happens after this movie, right? Um, so, like, you know, like... And that's, like, semi-facetious, but, like, this is definitely, like, it's this one and Tokyo Drift are, like, the top of my pile, definitely. I don't know if one overcomes the other. Like, if I want to watch a racing movie, it's probably Tokyo Drift. If I want to watch, like, a dumb, a fun action movie, right, I'm watching this movie instead. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, this one, I think, uh, so Fast Five is my number one. And, and it kind of it has been for a long time. I liked Fear of Too Fast Too Furious also um, a little bit. I think those are those are probably different than yours. Um, but I think my list is probably like five three two one four. Right. I think we we both agree that four is the worst. Um, I think I like it more than Tokyo Drift. I, you kind okay. of have to, in a way, because this is just the, this is the good stuff. This is like when it gets when it gets really sweet. But I do really love Tokyo Drift, and I think Tokyo Drift deserves to be at, like closer closer to the top of the list. So that's probably where where we're yeah. at at the moment. No, second under Fast Five. I like Fast Five better, but <laughs> that's yeah, where I, we're at. I, I think the problem here is like yes, it's part. It's like I think it's kind of like putting like Angley's Hulk in like the Marvel canon, right? Like yes. It is technically part of the cinematic universe, but it really yeah. kind of stands alone for the most part, right? For Tokyo Drift, so I think it's a little bit harder to judge against the rest of them. Whereas, like one, two, four, five, six are all clearly part of the same continuum. Three, yeah. three is something that's just a little bit different. But yeah. All okay. Right. Um, so this is spoilers. This is spoilers. Okay. So the thing that I want to talk about so bad is the fucking tank, because. It's so great. I forgot how great it was. I remember having the, this feeling. Actually, I, I didn't forget. I just sort of forgot the feeling that I had had the first time. I remember really thinking the tank scene was sweet, but I didn't. Get, I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate why until I watched it again. And it's two reasons. One, it comes out of fucking nowhere, right? They... You think that they're stealing, like, you know, they're, they're, they're attacking the convoy. They're after this little computer chip or whatever, right? And then the tank literally drives out of the truck, crushes it, and then just starts crushing cars on this 
highway in Spain, and every time it does, it's orgasmic. You know, it's so it's just so satisfying to watch these cars like run into it and just go right like right underneath, right? Um, but all the other stuff that happens, um, you know, where they're actually driving around on this highway and trying to take down the tank, and you know, Roman gets in front of it, he he dangles the the cable over over the turret, and that's what they use in order to like stop the the whole thing. All of that, I think, is also just like a really well done, like really top end action scene. And outside of the safe stuff from five, which is still the the number one action scene in my opinion, is them running around the streets of Rio with the safe, using it to smash into cars. Um, them fighting a tank is pretty fucking sweet. Uh, and <sighs> did, did you, you, you couldn't have known that this was happening, right? Like you didn't expect that, right? No, so, so I was saying like, you know, I had to like turn my, like, I did not know this was happening. Like the things that flashed through my head as I see this tank driving out is, you know, why are they transporting the tip chip in a tank? Why is the tank being transported with live ammunition? Right? Why is like, why is any of this? And it's like, wait, I have to turn my brain off. Right? Yep. Like, and it's just like, why is he shooting the bridge with civilian? Why do they suddenly care about people? Right? Like, why did no one call Hobbs? Right? Like, like they figure out what's happening and Hobbs finds out because of a report back from the track. Not because, like, you know, someone called him up and was like, they're going to hit the convoy. Right? Which is like, would, like, brain off. Right? Like, <laughs> culminating in fucking Vin Diesel, like, getting launched across a bridge and catching Letty and, like, landing on the car and them not, like, it's like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, you know, because famously, when people, <laughs> when people jump out of cars that are going 80 miles an hour, when they stop on a, the hood of another car, they're just fine. He just yeah. walks that and, off. <laughs> and not only that, but it gets played like it's totally real. When he says, how did you know there was going to be a car to break our phones? Like, why? <laughs> It's, it's, this is the greatest shit. This is the greatest shit. It's like Shakespeare. It's, he's, it's so serious and it has nothing to do with the logic. It is just all about, he's like, I, I did it, right? Like with that super deep voice. And it is all about the fact that he was willing to die yes. for Letty. Oh, cause he loves her so much. And I think that's part of what it is. This is something, this is something that, has come out in Stark Relief, especially compared to Quantumania, because um, I've been reading a lot of Marvel discourse. Quantumania is, you know, like not putting up numbers for box office stuff. People are saying that it's not quite a bomb, but it is indicative that like this is okay. This is like real Marvel fatigue, right? People are not showing yeah. up for these movies um, and all this other sort of stuff. Um, and I was thinking, I was thinking about how. You can just really paper over so much by just having that moment with like Dom and Letty, right? Like it doesn't none of none of the rest of it matters. It doesn't fucking matter that this that they should both be toothpaste, right? On the side of a highway, right? The thing that matters is that he loves her, right? And that achingly sincere, super, super earnest emotionality at the core which is at the core of all of this right you know 
um, I think is what makes Fast and Furious special in a way that Marvel does not feel special, right? In, in, in a certain sense, I guess I'm making an argument that Marvel has sort of irony poisoned itself a little. Um, that where even though I think I would probably, th I would probably say a lot of these Marvel movies have better sort of plots that make more sense, all this other sort of stuff, when they lack that sincerity, right, um, it does kind of take the heart out of the out of the whole thing, which is not something I necessarily want to level at Quantumania itself too hard, but I do think it underlies a lot of the problems that we've talked about in like this phase four, phase five kind of era, right? Like Thor Love and Thunder is this. You don't believe the sincerity of Jane and Thor's love for each other. That's not there's there's no just no chemistry there you don't think that he cares about her and the whole movie sort of falls apart right this is a movie predicated on the idea that absolutely like dom is willing to go up against an international terrorist just so he can rescue this woman who is the love of his life kind of thing does that make sense yeah no i mean and like i honestly think that like there's something there that like how do I want to put this? Like, the ridiculousness makes it makes the love more real in a way, right? Like, like the, the fact that it is so absurd, I think, drives it home in a way, right? In a way that I think I think that's kind of why you know the Marvel movies kind of don't get there because like superhero movies, you have an excuse to be like fairly ridiculous, and like, um. You know, Marvel took takes the opportunity to crack jokes, which was good for like a while, but like it's kind of wearing thin now. Um, I feel like if we had as many Fast and Furious movies as we had Marvel movies, we'd be having a similar problem. But like, you know, Dom, like I think the fact that Dom is willing to jump off of a car to save Letty, like you know, a speeding car across a bridge and catch her on another car, sells that he loves her. The fact that Hobbs is willing to pull, pull out a gun and hold a fucking officer at gunpoint to let the terrorists steal the chip because love is that important, right? Like, sells the theme of the movie so fucking hard, right? Like, it makes <laughs> no sense. I was, like, screaming at the television. I was literally <laughs> screaming at the television while this was happening. But it yeah. sells it, right? Yeah. Like... You know, he's part of the crew. He's part of the family now, Mango. Right? Yeah, like, no. this is the, this is the thing that that. And by the way, this is the first instance of a long line of instances where the bad guy from the previous movie gets absorbed into the movie. Obviously, Hobbs is sort of a middling bad guy. Yeah. He is not quite the bad guy, right? right. Um, but he does get he does get absorbed into uh, into the Fast and Furious crew, uh, which I which I am very uh, excited about because it sets the stage for. Future incarnations of that very thing happening, which I, I, ah, ah, oh, it's so good. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, if, it's funny to me also, the, the main reason why I think this one is worse than Fast Five, um, mostly has to deal with the sort of plot cul-de-sac-y nature of some of this stuff. The team is together um, for kind of the end, like the big sort of action scenes towards towards the end of the movie. Um, basically everything starting at the tank and kind of going from there. Um, but the stuff before that I do think is a little, is a little bit rockier. Um, and there are some sort of asides that I don't love uh in particular brian goes back to the united states 
and hangs out with Shea Wiggum, his, you know, FBI buddy, and gets admitted to a federal prison to talk to Braga, the bad guy from the fourth movie, in order to get, like, Shaw's backstory and his, and connect the dots between how Shaw and, like, Letty did stuff or whatever. And there is some stuff there, and I do feel for Brian's, like, this is my fault, right? Like, I'm the one who put you in this position kind of thing. Um, but I really just felt like, boy, all of that, you could have just told me. You could have just had a fucking Skype call, and I would have been fine, right? Like, if, you know, if Brian was like, I, I know a guy and he calls up his friend in the FBI and he goes like, yeah, I, I, I talked to Braga about, you know, Shaw and this is what he said. Like you could have just done all of that and kind of kept the main group a little bit more um, together, uh, which I think would have would have sort of helped things kind of um, it would have sort of helped things along. I think I kind of agree with that. I, my biggest problem with that bit was that it felt like it was uh, redundant because basically Dom gets the same information directly from Shaw in, in like the scene where he's like racing with Letty and like Shaw, yep. you know, comes out from under the bridge. Like that information, like the information that, that uh, O'Connor gets, that's kind of unique. is just like, not a lot. Um, yep. And I felt that that was, that was not great. Like, I don't think it worked. It worked super well. Um, I also felt that like you're seeing, you're starting to see like, other members of the crew start to get um, flanderized. Like, Roman feels like he's very flanderized in this movie. Oh, uh, it's going to get worse from here, buddy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and that's, yeah. But that's, I think that's kind of the nature of, like, side characters, right? Like, mm -hmm. like I only kind of expect Dom and O'Connor to be um, the real characters, kind of, in general, right? Like, because, um, like, like you said last time, like, Hobbs is kind of like a walking one-liner. Um, Ludacris is now the tech guy, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, um uh, the only, like, uh, you know, who else? Well, Han's dead. Um, Giselle, we didn't actually see Giselle's corpse, so I'm putting it at, like, 80% that she's not dead. I'm not <gasps> sure. Um, Whoa. I mean, just because, like, they pulled the shit with Letty, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, like unless you, like, see their corpse, I just kind of, like, like this is kind of, like, this movie is stupid. Like, this series is stupid enough to bring her back somehow, right? Like... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I do like this. Might actually be my favorite movie for um, uh, sort of like Giselle and Han because you like they're doing the thing. They're they're and it's tropey, but like it works. They're doing the thing of like one last job. I'm three days from retirement yeah, yeah. or whatever. But like you know, it's like oh, Giselle's not in Tokyo with him, and he goes back to essentially you know drug dealing or whatever um, when he you know in the Tokyo Drift uh, sort of days. Um, and um and so you know something bad is happening and they're just like setting you up for that moment and then when it comes it is simultaneously fucking insane right because she does this thing where she like falls off the back of the car draws a pistol and shoots the guy as she's like falling into the darkness behind her and she just sort of like disappears into that or whatever but it's just like it's the kind of thing that's like why didn't she just pull out the gun in the first place? Like, you would have thought that, like, they were doing all this hand-to-hand -hand stuff on the plane or whatever. It's like, wouldn't you just want to pull out the pistol and shoot the guy, right? Like, instead of, like, actually fighting or whatever. And it's just, like, the that the, that moment, again, works because of the sincerity. Because yeah. I'm invested in Han and Giselle um, as, a, as a couple. Weirdly more invested than a lot of other couples um, in a lot of other movies. I have no idea why, but I do believe that these that these two kind of Honestly, care for each other. more than the two mainline couples, right? Like, like... 
I buy that Dom loves Letty, and I buy that Brian loves Mia. But like, yeah. Han and Giselle are the couple that is like <laughs> actually on screen together, right? Like, yeah, um, and also like supporting one another in a way that yeah. is like, um, you know, I've, I feel like that's that has like couple energy. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like when they go to the the thing, uh, and there's four of them. You know, it's Hobbs picks up. I can't even remember the actress's name. She's the one who got super canceled. Oh, Gia um, Carino. Gia Carino, right? Uh, this is, by the way, like her big break right. uh, is is this, and then goes into stuff like Deadpool and The Mandalorian. Um, anyway, so she is um, she's with Han and Roman, and Giselle just sort of takes the lead on this thing, and Han is totally fine with it, and Roman is like wisecracking or whatever. But like, you actually do feel this tension and this thing where it's just like, yeah, he tr he trusts. He trusts her that she's going to get it done and he's going to have her back and he does right like when shit hits the fan or whatever and i feel like that stuff communicates the couple energy better than you know mia being off screen dom and letty kind of i guess like flirt racing um it was funny i had forgotten about that street race um but yeah yeah uh it's gina carano is is, is the full name okay gina carino but yes no i noticed that that it like uh in the um in the uh, in like the credits, it was like, oh, that's that's that person, right? Like I thought I recognized her, right? Like, um, but uh, but yeah, no, um, yeah, just like Giselle's just like like th their romance is like very real, um, yeah, like you know, like that that is like the, I feel like that's like just like the you know like true love, right? Like conquers all, right? I feel like that's just like the theme, right? Like of of this of the series and like true love, not necessarily in the romantic way, like in the family way too, like it just. It works, right? Yeah. Also, like, you know, this movie, this movie shows us a harpoon gun, right? I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is going to get used once, right? The whole ending scene is like harpoon. He's like, <laughs> you know, my favorite thing about the harpoon gun scene is this is this is the kind of dumb that we're dealing with. But it's, it's like, who cares? There's one moment where one character is in a car and says, if I can shoot that flap, with this harpoon gun, right, we can bring down the plane, okay? So clearly sets up what what they're trying to do. That person misses, right? Then another person... But they don't pull miss out the of plane. They miss... They hit the wing. The, yeah, but they miss the flap. Right, they're right, they're right, aiming yes. for the flap so that they can pull the flap and force the, the, the plane to not take off. Um, then another person shows up with another harpoon gun in a car. They don't say anything, but they also shoot at the the flap right and, and then in the third one and then that and, the, and then that one misses and then a third person shows up none of these people have communicated this plan to each other but it's it's the kind of thing where it's like the movie told you that the flap was important and it isn't bothering to tell you that these people are communicating in some way i guess they're all just intuiting that they can all br they, they can bring down the plane by shooting it in the flap because the person who eventually does it and does it in a particularly cool way, by the way, not that this really paid off anything, but I just like the moment where he aims and then he like kind of squints a little and he's like, Oh yeah. And then he like aims way forward because the power of the engine is going to suck the spear back. And it does in fact suck the spear back into the flap. Like that's, that's like, that's like cool. Um, even if the first two times it didn't really seem like that was 
set up by you know the harpoon stuff and then the maybe the best use of a harpoon gun which is letty and gia gia carano having their you know take two of their fist fight and letty pulls the spear gun out of the plane but these are specifically spear guns that tej engineered and included in the fast and furious cars so where did she get that spear gun and she shoots gia carano and she goes flying out of the plane and it's just like you can't think about it you just can't fucking think about it or you will ruin your own day yeah no i mean like like <laughs> her whole plane scene, right because they're fighting and vin diesel leaps and headbutts this like discount fucking I even drago right <laughs> and like this like oh, so we, we haven't even talked about this because they're all evil doppelgangers right because like, and I was like oh me. it's a thing and then they call it out he says it's like like robin looks it's like this evil doppelganger <laughs> yes <laughs> and, they, and they go through and they tell you who each of the doppelgangers are a doppelganger for because they're all like they're all like racially aligned or like you know then there's obviously the guy who is the doppelganger for Hobbs is this huge like muscular you yeah, know like dude Drago, or whatever right? yeah 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 oh my god yeah it's so satisfying and then they're fighting and you can tell that they're like mismatched like Brian is getting absolutely owned by because Brian's doppelganger is the girl right um who he owns, by the way. I think. Okay. I. Oh, oh man. I. I want to talk about that. I'm just gonna put a pin in this. We'll talk about that later. Um. So his doppelganger is the girl. Shaw's doppelganger is. Um. Is Dom. Uh. Dom. Yeah. The muscle guy is Hobbs. Oh, right? right. Okay. So when they go in, it is Vin Diesel and and Shaw are like are like going at it, but Brian is matched up against the muscle guy, and he's just getting. Oh no no! I'm saying Brian is fighting. Um. Shaw and Vin Diesel's fighting the muscle guy. Right? Um, and, it, it switches a couple times, but I think you're right, right? Like Brian yeah. is primarily fighting fighting. But the then guy. Hobbs shows up, and then Hobbs and Vin Diesel, Hobbs and Tom double team the huge muscle guy, including a bit where I think Dom holds up his legs or whatever so yeah. then like the rock can do like a flying jump yeah, he, can do, he can literally do a wrestler move right like yeah yeah i i have to say i, I don't know if you know much about this there's a there's a huge feud between the rock and and vin diesel about the fast and furious franchise really? um fa yeah famous so behind the scenes famously what happened is uh you know the rock kind of pops off in in five and in six and kind of graduates to kind of co-lead of the movie right he starts becoming the world's biggest action star movie star all of this other sort of stuff um and he's sort of famous he did this with black adam also he's sort of famous for kind of wanting to sort of exert producer level control over the films and franchises that he's a part of right um and vin diesel got really pissy about that because he's like buddy we did you know four of these movies before you stepped in the fucking door right these are my movies that i care about you can't like kind of like push me around um and it, you know that boils under the scene starting in this one but we'll go through you know seven and eight until he until the rock kind of gets shunted off into the hobbs and shaw you know group of movies um and hobbs doesn't show up in the mainline fast and furious films anymore um with that context the fight scene where Dom and Hobbs team up together is really satisfying to watch. I really lament all of this backstage drama because it's just it's just fun to watch them fight 
with each other. It's kind of like how it's fun to watch Dom and Brian drive, um, you know, in the sense of it's fun to watch um, the, the, like the chemistry that they have in in sort of the like looking through the passenger window to one another right uh it's the same thing but like on the ground boots on the ground fist fighting sort of stuff between Hobbs and and Don this might be the best like actual fight of of the the franchise um just because of that effect you know that Vin Diesel and The Rock are just really good i don't know they have they have a lot of chemistry yeah no i mean this no no the, one of the theme one one of the kind of underlying morality of the movie seems to be that like people with big muscles are good guys, um, and like that you know that seems to be very clear in this movie more you know like you know it's okay to do police abuse of people that are bad you know that 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 we don't like because they don't have they have less muscles than Hobbs right like Hob like uh, that opening scene where like. It's like the guy's like I have rights. He's like, no, you don't. Not today, right? He just like throws. It's like it feels like it felt to me very much like you know the bigger the muscles, the better the guy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Because um, like you know Shaw is a wiry guy, right? He's not like big in muscles. That means he's a bad guy, right? Like, um, uh, but yeah, no, um, yeah. I, I will and then there's also the there's also a couple of other f fights in here that are great. Um, I really love the just like the tumble fight between Letty and and Gia Carano, where you know like Letty like pulls out the handcuffs. Um, there's just like a lot of fun stuff happening in that fight, and the stuff with ha Han Roman versus Hans Doppelganger in the subway, where Hans Doppelganger just like be beats the shit out of them. <laughs> it's really satisfying. Yeah, I spent a little time last night trying to think through if the fight between Letty and Gina Carano actually makes any sense in terms of the plot. And it just stopped because I don't – I just can't. Like, it's like why, Well, why wouldn't it make sense in terms of the plot? Because, G, because Gina Carano's character is a double agent, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Like – I, like I said, I didn't finish this thought out because I was like, I don't care enough. Like, I'm not supposed to think about <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, okay. But, like, there's definitely a thing to think through about, like, whether or not, like, they need to at least fight as hard as they did, right? Because, like, if, like, I don't think there's a good reason for Gina Carano to arrest Letty, right? Like, to get her hands on Letty because, like, she doesn't actually want anybody else to, like, like, because she's working with Shaw. Like, it, I don't. I don't want to think. About yeah, it. I mean, I think that reveal in and of itself is not great. Um, yeah. This is a reveal that comes at the very, very end of the movie, um, where I remember this being the case um, for some reason, you know. Um, but it. I think it's just because the doppelganger to Letty ended up being Gia Carano's character, and you had to have them sort of switch Which sides thing, yeah. in, in tangent with one another. And also, you do have to explain there are pieces of the plot that do get explained by yeah. the fact that she is next to Hobbs the entire time, right? Yes. We do know, you know, we do know that and we, and we, we do sort of get there. Um, but it's just like very at the last possible second and doesn't really matter in the long run. Because like, if you think about it, the moment where he says, you're going to let me walk right out of here because I'm holding two people in the Canary Islands hostage, essentially. Um, uh, that moment just transitions right into this plane thing, 
and that's the end of the movie, right? Like that's that's where it all ends. They don't even yeah. escape. They don't even escape the base. So, yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah. If if I really cared, and again, I don't. Just like make her like do the heel turn by pulling the gun on the base director, right? Instead of having Hobbs do it, right? Like <laughs> no, I I would defend that. Hobbs has to do it because he's part of the family. No, no, right? No, like like I like I think. Okay. Like, from a pure <laughs> logic standpoint. Logic right, standpoint, yeah, sure. Yeah. Right? Like, because the point of her turning when she does isn't that she's a double agent. It's that he says, hey, babe, are you coming? And she responds instead of Letty. Right? Like, that's the point. Right? Like, um, again, yeah. regardless of the fact that, like, I again, I don't want to think about it too hard because I'm sure none of it makes sense. Right? Like, I instinctually feel that, like, why did she show the picture of Letty to Hobbs at the end of the last movie? Right? Like, the she last didn't. thing. Mm-hmm. She didn't. Yes, Eva, she... Eva Mendez did. This is, this is like one of the, the You remember oh. Eva Mendez from Too Fast, Too Furious? Oh. She is Hobbs' assistant at the end of Fast Five. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought that was the same character all the way through. That makes sense. Okay. Never mind then. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. The, the the like that whole reveal doesn't doesn't really do yeah. much or of anything for for me. But it's kind of like who cares? Like I wanted. I think I wanted a little bit more from that because I remember at the time thinking that this is they're going to become criminals again, right? Um, and Hobbs is essentially going to join them as criminals, right? Um, and the way that he's going to do that is he is going to, um, uh, you know, side with them against sort of this NATO base, and they're all going to become outlaws again. But that doesn't really materialize either. No, um, explicitly so. at the end of the movie, he's still a cop. He's still like a yeah. an important cop. You know, hanging yeah, out. Yeah, and they're not criminals anymore, right? Like the thing, he's like, oh, you know, what what number do you want? He says thirteen twenty seven, and then at this moment, <sighs> does it hit me where I live? It shows the Toretto house in Los Angeles, the Fast and Furious house, where they're having the family barbecues that Dom talked about in the last movie that we saw in the first movie and that will go on to become staples of the franchise from from here on out, right? The moment I actually forgot about this too, the running joke. Of, uh, you know, where Roman, uh, where people make fun of Roman's forehead. Um, there's a thing where, there's a thing where, um, in the, in the barbecue, Roman says, uh-oh, somebody, somebody smells baby oil and the rock is walking up and the rock says, you know, uh-oh, somebody, he says something about, you know, like, watch out for your big ass forehead. <laughs> And Ludacris does a spit take. That's real. That's authentic. Ludacris hadn't read the script for the for that scene, so he didn't know that that was the line. And so the, when the Rock shoots that off, he actually he actually spits out his drink, which I think is a great team. Or maybe the Rock improvised it or something like that. Um, it's just like that's the stuff that ah oh, warms warms my heart, right? Bunny, Bunny explained something to me. Yeah. They knew that Letty was alive at the end of five. They mm. knew definitely that Letty was a plot point in six. Why did they have, like, Dom have a romance in the middle with this, like, poor woman who, like, they played it as well as they could, but they could have just, like, not had them be lovers, right? Like, the... <laughs> 
Yeah, um, I appreciate that they did it. They they didn't just forget about Elena, right? That sure. she did show up uh, and and do some stuff, and she kind of gets a little bit of a send off or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess you know that <laughs> like they they could have planned they could have planned around that uh, probably a little bit better. My guess is that when. Fast Five was in production. They probably added this thing for Letty at the end of it, and they were like, oh, yeah. "Well, we already have this whole thing, so we'll deal we'll deal with it as they come." By the way, I am uh, I was right the second time. It was an improvised uh, uh, line. Uh, it's like where, where Roman says, "You better hide your baby oil," and Hobbs says, uh, "You better hide that big ass forehead." Eliciting <laughs> <laughs> a, a surprised laugh and spewing of beer from Ted. Dwayne's tr- uh, comment to Tyrese's character was totally unscripted. He didn't mention that he would be adding that line, so Ludacris's hilarious reaction was genuine. Uh, Tyrese stayed in character, and the director kept the line in the final cut. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, because what a good, what a good bit. Uh, it's a callback too, right? Like, because um, uh, Roman says, when looking at the crash cars, like that could have been my forehead. And Tej says, hey, "Your forehead, or no, nah, <laughs> that's not as big as your forehead. It's not as big as your forehead, yeah." <laughs> oh God. Do you? I can I just? We're 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 not. We're a little over halfway through. Do you understand why I became obsessed with these movies at this point? Like, are you in it? Are you submerged in the puddle of Fast and Furious so, with me? I, I won't say that I understand why you are as obsessed as you are. But I will <laughs> say I understand why you chose to keep watching them. And, you know, like, oh. like, these movies are fun, right? Like, I will go see the next one in theaters. If we quit this podcast tomorrow, I would watch the rest of them and go see the next one in theaters. <laughs> yes, that's all I wanted to hear. You know what? What what more? What more could you possibly? What more could you possibly ask for? Okay, I put a pin in something. I want to bring it back, um, which is Brian and his doppelganger, which is the woman, right? Which is uh, Shaw's sort of right right hand woman. I can't remember her name. His name is like Venga or something. Um, the Venga bus is coming. Um, the The tank scene is the best one. Um, and I love the stuff that happens with the plane scene, even though everybody makes fun of the fact that the plane scene lasts for 20 minutes. Uh, so that plane is taking off for the equivalent of yeah, like the, 26 miles or whatever, right? Like, like it just never runs on a runway. That airstrip has to be like super fucking long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, listen, we're not we're not going to think too much about the about the details of this stuff. Um, and uh, but the the very first car scene, which is the um, the sort of Formula One racer with the ramp on the front, uh, as they're as they're the I think they're in Paris scene. or in London. That's the second car scene. The first car scene is a seaside race between Dom and Brian. Um, oh, uh, okay, fine. I guess that counts. Um, it does. It was yeah, a race, so, and it opened out a race that I, was, I thought to myself, it's a fucking race. They have a race in this movie. Anyway, continue. That's true. Yeah, they had two, because they yeah. also had Letty and Dom. Um, so, yeah, so the the scene where they're chasing Shaw out of his little hideout, and Shaw is in that in that Formula 1 scene with the with the, the ramp, and he's ramping all of the, the cars onto, onto the other things. The thing that I forgot about is the Fast and Furious crew have some insane wipeouts 
in that scene, right? Um, and the thing that will eventually happen to Brian is he's tracking the SUV, right, with the with the girl because there's two of the of the racers. There's there's the one that she's in. Um, there's the one that Shaw's in. Shaw breaks away. Uh, the Rock and uh, and Dom chase after Shaw. Brian is alone against against her, and they do this thing, which I which I think is just sweet, where he's tracking the SUV, and then the SUV swerves at the last minute, and you see that she has turned around and she's running right at him, and she scoops, you know, she does the thing where she scoops under like his car. Um, <clears throat> in the final scene, she gets back in that car, and she's fucking with the people who are who are driving along the. Um, uh, she's fucking with the people who are driving along on outside of the plane right trying to trying to stop them from stopping the plane um and as she does that she ends up sort of 1v1ing with brian again and brian realizes that there are these like metal or like concrete sort of blocks sort of off to one side so he pulls in front of those and he goes right he goes like right at her but then swerves at the last second so that she crashes into it and flips a million nope. times and obviously it's better than that he spins around so that when she launches him, he lands back, like, flat, right? Like, he doesn't swerve out of the way. He takes the ramp. I think it's like... Oh, you're right. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, like, you're right. I was like, this is fucking stupid, but it's beautiful, right? <laughs> like, Yeah, the thing that I liked about that that I didn't notice the first time was that he used the same trick to defeat her that she used to get him the first time. And stuff like that is just like... That's that's good action, right? Like that's that's good soup, okay? <laughs> oh, man, that there's one thing that does that, that like that, that I actually like. This bothers me for real more than a lot of the other things in this movie, which is the car devices that like go nowhere. Like the they launch the things at the car and it turns off the cars, and. One, that point really goes nowhere except for as, like, an excuse for him to buy more cars. And two, like, the whole time was, like, like when he was pulling the gun out, I was like, oh, that's a grenade launcher. How are they going to dodge grenades? Then it wasn't grenades. And I was like, this this feels like weird, like, PG-13 magic or something, right? Like, <laughs> like Well, I actually think it's a setup for the moment where Brian drifts into the bollard and strips oh, his off, but he doesn't, like, crash or whatever. Because I think that moment is cool. No, no you're right. Uh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. that, that is very, very cool. But, like, it's also, like, you know, on its face, like... More than most of the things in this, like, most of the other things in this movie are stupid, but, like, can variously be explained by, like, people, people being stupid, right? Which is much more excusable than, like, I don't know, this, this felt like, I guess you could have cocked up to people, chalked this up to people being stupid. It also felt, like, absurd. Yeah, there's also a weird level of, like, intentionality. Like, one of the details that I think is sort of dumb, if you think about it too long, is the paint, right? They go to Hobbs's base, and it's been stripped clean, and she's like, there's nothing left, and, and Hobbs is like, there's always something, and he goes to the ground, and he, like, scrapes up this paint, and he gives that paint to Tej, and Tej says, oh, hey, this is actually, like, military-grade, infrared, low, you know, like, whatever paint um, that gets used at nato bases and we can cross-reference you know like the use of that paint with the nato bases that could have the chip and that's how we know where shaw is going but if you actually think about it it doesn't make sense because why would shaw have paint from a nato base that he is intending to go to 
not that he has anything from right like but the answer to that is that Shaw wanted them to he, it was intentional yeah. he doesn't go anywhere unless he wants you to go with like he doesn't tell you where he is unless he wants you to go there and so like he left that paint behind on purpose or whatever it's like you can get away with a lot of dumb shit that way just kind of by saying like oh it was part of the villain's plan the whole time yeah no I mean that, that was the thing I was going to ask is how much like how much of this is contingencies and how much of this is the base plan, right? Like, like, was – if the base robbery could have gone off without a hitch, would he have done that? Or was he always in planning on getting caught for the convoy part? I think it's – I think the the last scene is the contingency. Where, like, I don't think he was planning the entire time on getting captured and then, like, revealing yep. that he had Mia captured. But um, – but yeah, so like I, I think that's about right, right? Like that he probably intended for them to find the paint, right? Again, minor detail, but they could have really like if this were a movie that was more based around the twist, maybe is the way to put this, right? The way you like sell the twist and you're like, oh, where you have that moment is you have Gia Car Gina Carano's character find the paint and mm. be like, oh, she found that because she was seeding that information, right? And then you have Hobbes, like, say the line about, like, a great ass and a great mind or whatever, right? Like, um, have it there and, like, you know, that kind of thing works out, right? Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of this stuff is honestly just sort of um, pretty base-level plot mechanics to get you from one point to another, right? Like, you need them to be in a position to do car stuff. So, obviously, Shaw can't attack the base. They have to warn the base so that they put the chip on a convoy and then Shaw attacks the convoy, right? right. Like that kind of a thing. Um, you know, anyway. Yeah. I, I, it, it almost sort of feels like, uh, you know, people used to shit on, um, Aquaman, uh, for, for this reason, uh, which was like, what is he going to do when there's no fish around? Right. Like what does Aquaman do in the middle of the desert? Right. Like that kind of thing. That's sort of what the Fast and Furious crew is like, but with cars, Like, what do they do if they don't have access to cars? It's like their superpower. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the answer is find a car, I guess. And you, yeah, this is, so you know what this is actually like, this is, um, Pokemon Pikachu use Thunderbolt. I think I've talked about this before, but like, this is, this is like way back in high school. One of my friends pointed out to me. It's like we were we were like flipping through the channels like you do when you're born in high school. And there's a Pokemon movie on, and so we just like kind of let it run while we're like doing something else. And my friend says to me, he's like, "Every problem in the Pokemon movies is solved by Pikachu using Thunderbolt." And damned if it wasn't that like the next scene was we're hungry, we're starving, there is a hot dog machine without power, Pikachu used Thunderbolt, right? Like, <laughs> like that's like, you know, you know, car-shaped hole, you know, whenever, you, whenever, whenever you, when you're a driver, every problem looks like uh, <laughs> a road, I guess, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. When you are a when you are a street street racer from Los Angeles, uh, every every problem does in fact look like uh, look like a road. I guess. Um, okay. Where do you where do you think these things are going for here? But do you remember any of anything of your predictions from Fast from Fast Five? Uh, did you have any predictions for Fast Six? Did we do a little segment like that? I think we did, but I think I totally forgot them. 
Yeah, I totally forgot them too. I cannot fucking remember a single detail. What is your what are your predictions for Fast and Furious Seven? Oh, before we get there, something that I have to bring up because I sent this to you. Okay. Right. I thought at some point Letty was going to be like, yeah, I remember some stuff now. The fact that she doesn't remember anything still at the end of the movie and she's acting the way she is is fucking insane. Right? Like, I can, like, I can, for, like, I don't know. It feels like they're, like, gaslighting her. Right? Like, like, like if you can cut this movie to be, like, a weird horror movie, I think, in a, like, <laughs> around, like, Letty. Right? Because, like, she doesn't remember any of this, but, like, she's, like, falling into the, like, I don't know. That that just that that bothered me because it's revealed at the end of the movie that she she still doesn't remember anything. She's just like kind of willing to go along with it, right? Like that feels that's weird. That's really fucking weird, right? Like, um, and maybe I'll roll this into my predictions. She has to get her memory back because otherwise it will continue to be really fucking weird, right? Like, man, does she get her memory? I think maybe they just don't talk about it and she just behaves as though she has her memory. But I don't think it ever gets mentioned ever again, to be honest with you. You know what? That, I just that's, think that that's fine. Right. Like that's the only way you can play it. Right. Is like either like you just pretend like that didn't happen. Right. Like in, ter in terms of the movie plot. Right. Like, or you, you make her explicitly get her memory either way. Right. Like something, something, something happened with your mic. I'm getting a very robot. Mic oh, I'm getting reason. weird stuff on your side too. Um, Wonder what that's about. Uh, you sound like you're on the moon. I sound like I'm a, like I'm a robot. You you sound you sound like you're talking through like a tin can to the moon. Yeah, yeah, that's what you sound like to me. I guess that must be like a Discord. Hold so, on, yeah, I'm no, just, it, like you've you've come back. Five. Oh, okay. Am I sounding okay? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, you sound better. I guess. Wow, that was that was really weird. weird. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I totally feel. I I guess I do totally totally feel you. It really doesn't super matter because like there is stuff that requires Letty's like continuity knowledge, um, which I won't spoil any of that stuff. But it's just like you have to assume it works. She, you have to assume she got her memory back. Yeah, I think. I don't think right. that there's a way. Like where she could have not gotten her memory back by by some of the next movies, just be, by the way that she like acts and behaves and remembers and remembers certain things. I could be wrong about that though, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I could always I could always be wrong. So what, what do I think is going to happen next? Um, again, I know this the stakes escalate. I will say that like, so Fast X is the one that's coming out, right? For, yeah. Okay. Fast X, Fast Ten is the one that's coming out. We have three more mainline movies furious 7 fate, fate of the furious f9 and then hobbs and shaw <laughs> and then hobbs and shaw which is a spin-off right i feel like fast 7 is the one that i like absolutely have no knowledge of um okay just because actually i, I you do because of memes but i won't elaborate any further okay <laughs> um oh oh i mean I, I also know that this is the one that after which Paul Walker dies, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the meme of them going going separate ways, them looking at each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, that's from the end of Furious 7 because Paul Walker is dead, um, unfortunately. And so Brian just sort of gets sunsetted as a character and he gets this sort of happy ending with Mia and... Um, God, what's the kid's name? Jack? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's Jack. Um... 
yeah, whatever. Him and the kid, right? Um, and uh, uh, so yeah, so that's some, something that happens in in Furious Seven. Um, oh, I one other thing I, I didn't mention this, but I do want to say is again, Fury, Fast and Furious Six has a deep connection to real stunts that I absolutely love and that work out great. Some of the stuff with the cars and the plane was obviously sort of like CGI towards the very end of the movie, but that tank was a real tank and it was really crushing cars on the highway. Uh, I'm pretty sure they shoot all this stuff in Puerto Rico. Um, uh, and also the, the, the F1 cars were real cars, flipping real cars, um, which I think that's part of the magic of the movies is the, is the 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 real kind of buck wild stunts that they go through honestly the tank one i, th I find very funny because you can drive the, the uh the tank was like an army surplus tank that the army stripped all of the stuff out of they basically give you but like you put a it's like it's just like a, an engine and you know like like it drives like a car essentially there's no there's no gun parts right so it still has a turret it still has whatever but you couldn't actually use it for any sort of warfare um and you can drive that tank that tank is a t is a tank in england and you can go to a place in england you pay them and they'll let you drive around and they they take junk cars and you can crush these junk cars or whatever um and like i think i think that stuff being real is a cornerstone of what makes fast and furious cool and great um uh specifically because it's kind of the star wars thing actually i feel like when people talk about practical effects in star wars versus the cgi stuff mostly what they're attacking is sort of the state of cgi in the prequels right um and some of the sort of changes that got made in the special editions um i think all that stuff is typically not super great and does sort of look like people on green screens but it's sort of a, a phantom of the time since obviously those movies were coming around at the turn of the millennium when cgi was not as great as it is now um but i really do think watching a real tank crush real cars is different and uh better than watching fake like a fake one do that um and uh and i, I do want to do that that's the final piece of shout out that i had for it that i had for fast and furious 6 i guess yeah no i i mean i absolutely absolutely buy that um there's just some parts of stuff that like it's i think event like i said i still think we're, we're not at the apex of cgi technology right like you yeah. know um when we are more like Part of, part of it is just kind of like raw simulation power, right? Like, you know, a car is not going to crush as realistically in a CGI model, at least not yet, right? I think we'll get there eventually, but, you know, I think you're, uh, I think you're ultimately right. Um, I also think it's, like, hard just to act against, um, act against fake things, right? Like, real yep. things are easier to act against, so, you know. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll agree. Um Last kind of thing that I think I want to shout out is, uh, you know, just that last scene where they're all just, like, waiting for Dom to, like, walk. Like, the, he drives the car out of the front of the fucking plane, and then he just, like, walks out of the fire. It's, like, like again, incredibly stupid, but incredibly sincere. Fucking A+. Plus. <laughs> yeah yeah driving a car out of an exploding you know whatever those are those c-17 planes like it's those gigantic plane. gigantic planes yeah. yeah um 
it's satisfying. It is a it is a satisfying uh, m- movie going moment, I guess. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess I gave out my ranking. We talked about that in the beginning. I, I I'm I guess I'm good. I, we can we can talk about weeks? talk about our weeks. Yeah yeah yeah. Ah, uh, so buddy, how was your week? God, how was my week? Uh, what have I been doing? I have been playing a lot of WoW because we're getting up a crew too. Um, this is something that happens kind of midway through any sort of season, right? Where we're pretty high end. We cleared our first twenty, um, which uh, oh, oh, right, this is actually kind of an interesting topic that I wanted to bring up a little. So one of the things that is new about Dragonflight is that the mythic spell effect appearances on armor are now tied to an achievement, right? Um, which is effectively ahead of the curve, um, but for mythic level stuff, right? So typically there's sort of three levels. You have normal, heroic, mythic, um, in terms of raid difficulty, we would say. Um, and uh, uh, the version of that for mythic plus is called Keystone Hero, uh, which is getting a rating of 2,400, which is kind of like 18s-ish. Um, if you get all the way up to 20s, you and you time 20s um you get uh you get portals to those dungeons which i think is a really neat thing uh it's like this is the portals are great because it is the perfect like capstone that you want to go for like thing to achieve but that matters not at all right it is uh entirely superfluous essentially to the you know to the way that this works um and especially because we know they're recycling dungeons from previous expansions now um any portals we do have are not necessarily like our portals that are going to work indefinitely into kind of into the future. Right. Um, so for instance, if I miss my court of stars portal now, um, I might get that portal, um, when it, when it rotates back in, in a couple of seasons, right? Like that kind of a thing. Um, but the mythic, but the, but the mythic spell effects, so you know how all of the armor, uh, all of the armor sets are different, and when you go back to an old raid and you like farm that for transmog, you can farm it on mythic, and you can get the mythic armor set, which is a little bit different. Typically, it has uh, some extra sort of like spell effects, or maybe the model is a little bit extra, uh, a little bit different. Instead, what they have done is they have tied that appearance of the extra spell effects to the achievement, right? So, because I got. Keystone Hero Season 1 of Dragonflight. All of the all of the Vault of the Incarnate items, I can sort of apply these lightning bolt, you know, thunderous uh spell effects to um the to to the armor to like make it like look cool and interesting. Um and I was wondering what you thought like what you thought about that cuz technically it is a change in philosophy from oh, well when the expansion is old enough you just go and farm it on your own for transmog and you get the same appearance. Now, if you want that special mythic appearance, you have to do a mythic level achievement, whether that's killing mythic Rizageth, getting keystone hero, getting gladiator in PVP, what have you. Yeah. Um, huh. So I feel like, I feel like that's fine. Right. Like, um, uh, what is it? Like PVP has always had like the kind of seasonal mounts that are like locked to the seasons. Right. Um, it's something that I'm working on my, right now myself. Um, oh, really? I mean, it's it's nice because it's not kind of like a it's not like a ratings based thing. It's like you know, win a certain number of matches. Right? Like I'm like fifty percent yep. the way through it, um, even though I haven't broken a challenger yet, just because the uh, you know solo shuffle is is a mixed bag. 
Um, I got my first six win solo shuffle this week, actually. Um, uh, which oh my nice. god, where you where you won every single match? Yeah. Um, which is that's amazing. Yeah. Um, it must like I just I think I got got lucky because I also was on top of my game. I'll talk about that in a little while, just because there's a neat thing there. But um, uh, I think that that's like a perfectly fine thing. Like I think like effects titles. Um, I even think you could go as far as like an appearance that's like locked to a specific achievement is, is fair game, right? Like, um, obviously, I don't know. The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is that it's like, um, is it's like time gated in a way that like can't ever rotate back in, right? Like that, that feels a little bit tough, but like, I also, it doesn't, it, it doesn't bother me that much. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay. I, I would yep, sure. maybe like I would I don't know there's a part of me that wants to say oh like maybe you should be able to access the spell effect through like one of three ways right like you know like you do one of the, you either mythic raid you know gladiator pvp or keystone hero gets you a key to like get one of these special things but I think there's also value in having them separated out um uh, it just kind of, I think it kind of like, you know, you like collecting mounts, right? Like the mm -hmm. fact that like one of those mounts is locked behind PVP, which is a thing that I, I don't think you do much of, right? Nope. Like, um, if you were going to be like super completionist about it, that would suck. And it would be nice if you had an, like, if there was an ability to do it through something you do enjoy doing. But I think that's like ultimately a minor concern. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's fair. Do you have thoughts on it? Do I have thoughts on it? Um, no, I think this is a good version of things. Um, so one of the things that I think is complex about this in general is that you can pursue multiple paths in WoW at a single time, right? So I can go for Mythic Plus at the same time I go for Raid at the same time I go for PvP, right? All three of those can have... Um, you know, sort of, like, achievements and stuff, like, linked to them to, to kind of, like, make them unique. But there's an interesting, like, thing of equivocating certain bits of them, right? So, for instance, the weird one when it comes to, uh, like, raids and Mythic Plus is that raids used to give different eye-level uh, gear than Mythic Plus, um, such that it was sort of more efficient to be farming plus 15s in Shadowlands times, um, because that was what would get you high-end raid gear, rather than um, doing uh, plus, you know, rather than doing mythic raid content, right? So I would say it is harder to do mythic raids than it is to get Keystone Master in Shadowlands, and the way that they kind of changed that is that they said have Keystones give you stuff all the way up to twenty rather than capping at fifteen. So now twenty is the new sort of like cap that we're we're bouncing around, and Keystone Master is more equivocated to uh, or is more equivalent to um, uh, ahead of the curve rather than being a, a you know equivalent to essentially cutting edge, right? Um, but I think that that's a that's a, like a really complicated thing. So, for instance, I got ahead of the curve this weekend. Uh, so I killed the heroic Razageth. It's kind of I don't think that fight is in range of anyone who just does heroic raids. You have to do other stuff, in my opinion. Um, when we killed Razageth, um, you know, I I did really well in that fight. I was like number. 
I was number one or number two on the poll. Um, I was number two on the poll. Um, so, uh, Arms Warrior is particularly good. It was my friend Devin who got a legendary parse on that, and then it was me, you know, just underneath. I got I got an eighty-two. But I'm just like looking at the item levels of the people who are in this raid, right? Uh, so me and Devin are both four sixteen. Um, my friend Reese is four sixteen. My friend uh, Zach is four seventeen. Soren is four sixteen. Um, you know, Patrick is 417. So that's of our, you know, top one, two, three, four, five, six DPS. Most of these people are people who are not wearing a single piece of heroic gear, right? Because in order to be 416, you have to be above and beyond heroic, right? Um, because heroic caps out at 411. Stuff that drops off of Razageth and Broodkeeper is 411 gear, right? Um,. And, and then there's a couple of other people who are up there who are, you know, pulling, pulling their weight, but are, you know, kind of in, in more reasonable, right? So, for instance, my friend Noel, he's at 411, 404, uh, 403, 409, 411, 409, right? Like, kind of all the way, um, all the way down. Uh, but it's just like, it seems kind of crazy to me that half of your DPS core have to outgear the content by 10 item levels or more, really, um, in order to clear in order to clear the boss um, because like that boss was not easy and like the damage and healing checks are not easy. Um, and so it sort of feels insane to me. I, I, I guess I'm sort of, I sort of like wonder like how the fuck is Wombo going to get this? Because most of Wombo are people who only raid, right? Like people who like only me, raid. And it just sort of my, feels my level right now is 399, right? Like I'm, I'm like, like yeah. I, I just like, I just haven't put any effort into mythics. Right. So like, you know, I'm, yeah, Right, like, yeah, no, that's that's fair, right? And like, people people in Wombo don't parse at like eighties, right? Like, even mm -hmm. even like, even you and me who are like, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm like any sort of wonderkin, but like we we like put the effort, like I put the effort in to do well, you put the effort in on Kruva to do well, right? We're not parsing particularly high in in those fights. Yeah, I, I don't know what's up with that, but like, you know, you know, and like we're the top of our guild chart, right? Like no, no one is like, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to down heroic Razageth. Yeah. Like, you know, like maybe she's just going to get really fucking nerfed, um, which would be, which would be something, right? Uh, if Razageth got just kind of like, you know, chunked by 10%, uh, which has happened in previous, in previous stuff. So, um, uh, Sepulchre of the first ones is famously like the hardest raid they've ever made. Um, and there were an insane number of nerfs to get all the way down, you know, and, but, but we got ahead of the curve eventually there. Uh, the question that I sort of have though, and that I think might be interesting is what's coming in 10.0.7, right? Um, so 10.0.5 was sort of like this mid systems level patch, um, came out a couple of weeks ago, right? Came out six weeks after their, after the launch of the expansion, seems pretty normal. Then they added a new patch, which is a which is a minor content patch, which seems new. Um, Ten point zero point seven adds a new special ring that has like special gem slots in it, and those gem slots seems to have pretty powerful effects, right? Um, and is, people have compared is, this to borrowed power. And they say, say that the oh, power thing. Yeah, and people and people have complained about it on that level. They're like, oh, this is just going to be borrowed power. You're going to have to farm this content in order to like get the good ring, yada yada yada. Um, but I actually think what it might be is catch-up gear, essentially, right? It is, instead of nerfing the boss fight, we're going to give you this really powerful ring, and if you farm out this ring, you're going to increase your DPS by 10 or 
or whatever the number will end up being, right? Um, and that's enough to sort of get a raid like Wombo off the ground uh, when it when it sort of like comes to this level um, of uh, of achievement. But yeah, I, it's really interesting because I don't know what is correct, right? Is it correct to essentially make heroic Razageth something? Um, I don't want to say trivial, but if we're using Wombo as sort of a baseline. Because Wombo is really, I, I think Wombo is actually a pretty good litmus test for this. Uh, since most people don't really touch other content and they're getting almost all of their gear from Raid itself, right? Um, is Do you design Razageth for that group of people who are not walking in and outgearing the content, right? Who are putting out numbers at this sort of like level um and and making damage checks at this sort of level right or do you make it for sort of like the the, the patrick's guild version which is between raid nights we're running a lot of mythics people are running 15 16 17s all the way up to 20s right um frankly they hit 20s before i did just which is a minor thing because you know uh, the the healer to my regular mythics crew had some health issues and wasn't playing the game for a month essentially but it's just like you know, when you have a group of people who are pushing really high-end content in sort of one avenue and then translating those gains to another avenue, I don't know that I have a good answer for the way that the encounter team should sort of balance those fights, right? Um, because maybe it is reasonable to say, yeah, we expect people to do a certain level of Mythic Plus in order to get ahead of the curve. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. My, my kind of thought is that... I feel like you should be able to clear raid off of raid, right? Like up to heroic, right? Like I think that's a reasonable ask for like mythic, right? Um, but I think heroic, you should be able to clear off of raid. Maybe that takes a little bit longer because you have to like, you know, it's, it's harder to gear people up solely on raid. Um, I think that's a little bit easier to justify if you can also gear up off of um, open world content right like i know that's the thing that they talked about like and this sounds like if this ring i think is implemented right it would be like open world type solution right like that you can like kind of go do solo content and like get yourself to like a reasonable position um i think that's it i think that's a reasonable ask but i don't know i just feel like i feel like raids i i think i think i pretty strongly feel that like heroic raids should be solvable with heroic raid level gear um and uh yeah yeah i think i think i think i feel i think i feel pretty strongly about that yeah um i don't know how you solve that otherwise like is the expectation that you have enough like crafted gear to get there um maybe um yeah 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 but even then crafted gear you can't make tear out of this is a problem that i sort of have yeah in a weird way um i i was hoping that i would be able to make tear out of my crafted gear um but that didn't end up materializing in a way that I felt was super satisfying. Um, you know, I don't know. But the, one of the things that they had talked about was instead of having a catalyst um, system that you could um, you could get tier crafted for you. And I think I do prefer I do prefer that overall, which is maybe just because like I'm a professions oriented player who likes doing. You know, one of the one of the success stories of Dragonflight for me has been getting on my like eight different alts and flying around the world for 30 minutes farming herbs or whatever until you you get all of the the drops for the week right you know because every profession 
every gathering profession you can gather six it's like you know for mining it's like the iridius mine or like the iridius ore or something Ir like that iridescent fragments your... and then like the iridescent ores by three points at the as the capstone one yeah 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 and so you just keep you just keep mining nodes you know which are you know it doesn't take that long it only takes me like half hour 45 minutes um but uh, but i do that across a bunch of different characters now right because i have a, a, somebody in each of the professions and it's just pretty easy and effortless to to keep up with all of them um i think that's probably that's like a why fun... you can't craft your gear which is because like someone like you will like make seven alts and like be able to craft all of their tier gear I mean, you, that's true, right? But, like, I feel like that's, like, a is, is, I feel like that's a better system than just saying, here's the thing that gives you. I feel like if tier came out of um, crafting, uh, it would be a more engaged, it would be a more engaging system because it would engage more of your player base, right? Um, if, you know, instead of the catalyst being the catalyst, you, you submitted a work order and you asked somebody, hey, turn this into tier essentially um i don't know maybe maybe that's just me being selfish because i am a i am a crafted player and i'd like want more reason to do crafted gear sort of sort of things i think the right answer there is probably like you can use catalyst charges on crafted gear i think that solves most of the problem um because then you have a reason to like order a special crafted thing but you also can like use your charges on it right like um, and you, you, you don't like make it like, I think, I think that's that or like maybe a, a timer on like crafted tier. No. Cause then you, you can't put that on the client side. Right. Like I think, I think the big issue is that like, they don't want somebody, you know, running seven alts and getting themselves fully kitted out in top tier, tier gear. Um, on their own. Although maybe, maybe the, um, the reagents that like, you know, you have to be 10 heroic bosses to get the reagents to actually craft a, a heroic piece of gear maybe that's enough of a limit but yeah yeah <sighs> yeah all right well outside of wow um actually so I, I said i have a thing to talk about with regards to my performance of pvp i got a new piece of hardware actually last week but can you see that this, uh, hold on uh, so this is an let me see if i can get this is going terribly i apologize this is an azeron hand pad um so this is uh you guys are seeing oh this my. mirrored but this is my right hand because i'm left-handed and this is like essentially a, a my my offhand my left hand goes on the mouse um so this is a thing i've been getting used to uh so it's uh it's a new thing that friend of the cast monic recommended to me um it's highly ergonomic um and <coughs> part of it for me is that because i'm left-handed i usually have my fingers on the numpad and so this is just more comfortable makes more sense so um i've been trying to learn that this week which is why my uh, performance has been down in wow because I, I you know after a lifetime of pressing the numpad i have to learn how to use these keys so that is incredible. That is a really incredible thing. Wow. Yeah. So it is. It is a uh, a custom like they they three D print these individually. It's in like I think it's in Latvia. Um, uh, they are not cheap, but like I am a hardcore gamer, right? Like I'm a core gamer, and I don't have a lot else to spend my disposable income on. And uh, 
Um, <laughs> do you, did, did, did they like print your hand? Is it made no, for no, your it, hand it, specifically? It, it oh, is okay. not that complex. Right? There's a bunch of customization options, but like, like it is primarily that Louis says it's the nerdiest thing I've ever seen. It is right. Um, <laughs> it's called the Azron Cyborg. If people want to look, um, they came out with a newer small, a new smaller model recently. Um, uh, and uh, it is like. Just because, like, the way I play, like, the, th the thing that, like, hurts, like, the reason I feel like I, I want this the most is just because of the way that, like, you know, I use the arrow keys and the numpad. And, like, my hand's always, like, been stretched, like, always stretches. And so this kind of puts everything, like, actually in my hand in a way that's, like, not terrible. Um, again, they're expensive. I think they're about the cost of, like, they're, like, two or three hundred dollars a pop. Um, I have to pay a little bit more for the Southpaw version, but... Um, it's a cool tool. Um, and so, you know. You know, sure. True, I guess. Uh, yeah. It was also like a, a seven-week fucking lead time. Like, I ordered this around, like, New Year's, and it just came last week. Um, because they, 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 it's like a bespoke little thing. So it's a, it's a cool little thing, though, and it works well. So, um, yeah. Uh, but otherwise... Um, I will have more to, to talk about that, hopefully, as it comes on, as I use it more to see how much I, I really like it. Um, but um, otherwise, I finished God of War Ragnarok, finally. Um, what did I... Uh, I beat the game. I beat the bosses, or the post-game bosses as well. I haven't finished the, the Moosepelheim Crucible Challenges. But I've done most of the game. I will say it's a really fun game. Um, it's weird in that, like, if you do all the Berserker challenges, the end game content becomes kind of super easy. Um, like the hardest boss, the hardest boss in the game is definitely the post game bosses, and like some of the Odin is the final boss. This is not like a big spoiler, um, but like a couple of the Berserker kings are much harder than than Odin. Um, but it's a good game with a fun, with with a neat story, very deep emotional story, um, some wild twists that I won't spoil here for the sake of the audience. But I would highly recommend God of War Ragnarok. Great fucking game. Um, the other thing to talk about maybe is that I have started thinking a little bit more deeply about my Marvel Snap decks. Um, you saw a little bit into this in our uh, in our Twitter chat with Zhao. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the group chat. Yeah, because uh, Zhao is playing Snap now apparently. Um, but just kind of like it's interesting because you have it's like it feels like it's like less consistent than a traditional game deck because like you're you're it's like in some ways it's more consistent because you it's like more consistent than like a singleton deck in Hearthstone, but it's like mm. less consistent than like what I would call like a standard deck, just because you can't really guarantee your ability to pill any card so you need a couple either a couple different win conditions or a couple different ways to achieve the same win condition right like um my destroy deck right is built around um either uh what is it like carnage or venom and uh a couple other cards that like and like death um basically i have a couple different a couple different a handful of cards that benefit from being destroyed or cause benefits when they are destroyed a couple cards that gain benefits or <coughs> excuse me they gain benefits from destroying other things 
Um, one card that's just so like Deathlock is a three five, which is a good stat allocation, three energy, five power. Um, and he destroys everything else in the space. He doesn't get a benefit from it, but it can activate some of the abilities. And then like a couple of like killer cards like um like death costs is a nine twelve, um, but costs one less for every creature destroyed in the game, um, or every card destroyed in the game. Um, um and the other one is like forget his name, but he's a six zero that destroys a creature and like copies it to other places. Um so like that's very much kind of like a multiple ways to do the same thing deck. My other deck that I've been playing a lot of, I call it the nonsense deck because it's just kind of based on like being weird and like tempo-y, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, it's based around kind of like cheating out high value characters, which is either through, so like this character, Infinite. The Infinite, um, do you do you know what this hero is, by the way? I've been meaning to look him up just because I had not heard of him outside of uh, this uh uh, no, I have never heard of Infinite. He's a, he's a 620, by far the most powerful base power character in the game, but you can't play him if you've played anything on the previous turns. You have to give up your five turn to play him, which is, like, basically untenable in most situations, right? There's a couple situations where it works out. Um, one of them being that, like, um, uh, uh, there's a character Sunspot, where I don't spend energy, get powers him up, so you can make it kind of work there. More commonly, I use Dazzler pulls a card out of your deck and plays it, um, or Dracula discards a card from your hand at the end of the game and takes his power. So that's usually how I end up like trying to cheat him out. Um, but you know, that's like the win condition. There is Dazzler pulling things out. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Dracula getting uh, a good pull off of something. Um, She-Hulk is a 610 that costs one less for every gunspin energy the previous turn. So, like, I can sometimes get her out on, like, turn four if I don't have anything better to play. Um, a bunch of little different ways to kind of, like, get yourself to a point. And that, that feels like it kind of works with, like, more tempo-y decks. If you've got, like, a specific mechanic that you're, that you're using, I feel like it, it doesn't quite... Like, you kind of have to go with multiple ways to do the same thing type of strategy as opposed to, like, multiple strategies to win type, multiple win cons. Um, but it's been, uh, it's been interesting going through it. I'm, I'm not, like, great at the game. Like, I haven't even, like, I don't know. I've gotten into the low 40s, which is, like, you know, infinite is 100. So, um, but I'm also not playing tons and tons of games. But it's, uh, it's an interesting game to kind of screw around with. It has, get, I have gotten a little bit more resentful of the leveling system. Because, like, past the, um, past, like, your, like, the first, like, 400 or so levels, you get, like, all the cards and kind of, like, the base collection. And past that, you get alternating, basically alternating these collector's boxes, which might contain a card, might contain, um, gold or credits, might contain collector's tokens, and tokens are how you can buy cards out of the rotating store. Um, uh, but then, like, the other ones are, like, boosters. Like, they're mostly just things that let you level up more, right? Like, you, some of them are, like, 50 credits, and 50 credits are just ways to buy more levels. Some of them are boosters, and boosters are just, like, ways to get more levels. Um, and so it feels like it's built to obfuscate the fact that, like, you're really only getting reward every, like, um, and, like, that's also, like, like, 
they also split out the rewards. Like you start out getting them like every level, then every other level, and now it's like every four levels you get a reward, and so it's like really like every eight to twelve levels you get a substantial reward, and even half the time. Half time is a little bit un ungenerous, but like a lot of the time, it's still not a lot of reward there. So, it's not it's not great. Not my favorite. Okay, that's interesting. Brian Kibler said something a little bit similar on his stream uh, when he was talking about Marvel Snap because like a lot of Hearthstone streamers, he was playing Snap on stream for a while, um, and folks were uh, yeah they just asked him they were like, hey, are you still playing Marvel Snap? What's up with that? Um, and he said. Uh, that he doesn't like Marvel Snap's uh, sort of unlock system, right, uh, for, like, leveling up and how the new cards get drip-fed into into the game. So I, I, don't, I don't quite understand the series thing, but it's, like, Series 4, Series 5 cards or whatever um, come out every once in a while or whatever. And he said, it is enough to frustrate me because I feel like I have to learn new things, but not enough to actually upset or change sort of like the meta or the way that I'm approaching the game at all. Um, and those two things just make for a very like friction aggravating kind of experience. Like, you know, the, the contrast that he's drawing is obviously to Hearthstone, which just drops buckets of new new cards right you know in april we're gonna get a new expansion it's gonna rotate out three sets of cards you know three whole sets obviously um and it is also going to bring in 135 more than that 144 144 new cards um uh with you know, a, with a new core set also with it, right? Like, the core set is going to change because we're going from the year of the Kraken to the year of whatever the next year is. Like, all of this kind of stuff. And he's like, this really upsets the meta, right? And it's fun because you can discover new things. You can change, you know, how what what is what is good, what is bad, what is your approach to, you know, um, to sort of matchups and um, uh, all of that sort of thing. And then you have, have time for a meta to sort of congeal um, and to play around with it in fun and interesting ways maybe the meta is really aggressive so you can you can tech out your control deck to win in this environment in this way right um that 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 kind of thing and and he was just talking about how marvel step doesn't really have that luxury uh or doesn't work that way um because of the way that the cards just kind of get dripped like dripped in and it's like one or two cards aren't really going to change anything um even though i have to learn them because my opponents are playing them but it's also hard to get them because the, the way the monetization is um so i don't know i have no horse in that race obviously because i still have yet to try marvel snap i keep meaning to but then also don't do it so yep. yeah no i mean that's totally fine it is like my kind of like break time game and i appreciate it for that like it hasn't gotten stale yep. yet which is the big thing um, there is a lot of variation game to game because of the randomized locations um, and because of your opponent. Sometimes that feels unfair. Like I have had like one of the locations is Ego the Living Planet. You know what Ego the Living Planet does? He, no. when that location gets revealed, the game basically plays itself. Ego takes controls of both players and plays their cards for them. Um, and that is like, I've only seen it once because it is like horrifically frustrating. There is also a card. Um, it's Agatha Harkness. Um, that will um, basically play your cards for you, um, which is interesting, but like also doesn't play particularly well. Um, 
but that's like you opt into that. The only the only time that has ever aggravated me is uh, um, I I used a card that steals the uh, the highest value card in your opponent's hand. And Agatha Harkness always starts in your hand if you have her in your deck. So I stole it out of her hand, or <coughs> I stole her into my own hand, and she played my game for me and lost. So you know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. There is some stuff like that in Hearthstone, but it's like Zephyrus is a good example of this. Um, Zephyrus being a card that um, reads the board state and recommend, and it, it's like discover a card, right? Um, but it's like discover the perfect card. So it reads the board state and it understands, oh, what do you need? What, what, what might you be looking for, right? So sometimes it will find interesting lethal for you, right? Um, so for instance, if you have a big guy on board and he can attack, you could discover Wind Fury to give him Wind Fury so he can attack twice for lethal, that kind of thing. Um, but then there's also just like, you know, is there a strong opponent you know, is there a strong minion from your opponent on the board? Um, if so, he's going to, uh, like, recommend you something to kill it. Um, or he might recommend something that allows you to copy it. Um, or he might recommend mind control so that you can take control of it next turn. Like, all of those kinds of things, right? Um, which, I, uh, which I feel like is fun ways to use the computer to do that thing. Having the computer play your turn seems a little crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah, the the only time it really aggravates me is is ego. Um, and that like I said, that he only showed up once in one of my games. That's because like the only the best thing you could say about it is it's fair because it takes control of both players' decks. But like, like the one that I've seen more frequently that really aggravates me is like draw three cards, um, destroy both. It's uh, it's draw three cards and replace both decks with random cards. It's like oh well. Whatever the fuck I was going for is just like totally out the fucking window now, right? Like, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I feel like retreating in the snap mechanic is really important for this game, right? Like to kind of keep it interesting because it's like, oh, I need to leave now, right? Before I end up losing a bunch of points in stupid ways. So, yeah. Yep, but you know, I'm still having fun with it. Sounds good. You also watched Margin Call, right? No, that was Zao, the, not me. Th oh, that was Zao. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, okay, yeah, no, that's it. That's all. <laughs> yeah. um, what did I watch? Did I watch anything interesting this week? I watched um, I watched a couple episodes of Kunk on Earth, um, which is kind of like a parody. Like, it's, it's, it says it's produced by the BBC. I think it is. It's like a, it's on Netflix. It's like a parody of like, you know, like, you know. Like, oh, it's 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 I, it's a comedian comedic actress being like you know you know and you know and you know in you know in around zero beast or zero ad uh, an almost christ-like figure arose his name was jesus christ you know like joke like i'm not not doing it great but like you know it's funny no i i have seen clips of this i didn't know that they were from a show to be honest um I just thought they were funny TikTok clips. Like, there's one where she is talking about The Last Supper um, and is like, you know, in this fourth century painting of, of The Last Supper, you can see, you know, it's all, you know, Jesus is twice the size of everyone, so it looks like he's having dinner with school children. Um, and when 
uh, Leonardo da Vinci re rebooted the painting in you know the 1600s. He he properly proportioned everyone, and it feels like you are going to betray Jesus Christ the next day for 30 silver yourself or something like that, right? Like some bit. Uh, that, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, is that where where is that? Is that like a Netflix thing? It's a Netflix thing. My girlfriend introduced me to okay. it. It is not my favorite, but it's like okay light watching. Um, well, you know, it's like I said, it's good light watching. I would, if you like the actress that does it, I'd say go for it. It just wasn't, it wasn't quite my thing, but I understand why people have been enjoying it. And I think the second episode was better than the first, so maybe I'll keep watching it and see if it gets better. Um, sure. Anything else? Uh, I don't know. I've been playing Lancer with some friends, uh, friends of the cast. Um, Lancer being, here, I got the book here. It's a TTRPG where you're a mech pilot. Yep. Here's the book. It's a fun game. I pilot a mech. I pilot a mech uh, that has a harpoon. The pilot's name is Ralph. You know how it goes. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's an interesting system. It's got like a lot, like something that I think this game does that a lot of, games that aren't D&D or Pathfinder don't do is it's got, like, a deep mechanical system. Like, I find that, like, a lot of, like, indie TTRPGs tend to be very fluffy and very light on the crunch, which is fine. Like, nothing against those games, but, like, um, if you like people who like crunch, Lancer's a pretty good game for it. Um, especially the guy... So, um, friend of the cast, Nick, is running the game, and he just kind of, like, doesn't really engage with a lot of the fluffy parts of it. He's just kind of like, and now we're going to go to a mech fight. It's like, yay, mech fights. So, you know. Um, uh, like, the fluffy parts of the system are very fluffy. It's like, play out a scene. See how it goes. And more often than not, it's just like, <laughs> it's like we talk for like 30 seconds, and then we roll a die. And it's like, okay, <clears throat> that part's over. Now we can do the mech fights. Um, but still, it's, it's, it's a great little system, and I'd recommend it. Um yeah. You have anything else, buddy? Like, what, what have you been up to this week otherwise? We just talked about, we talked about WoW a bunch. Oh, uh, I have been trying to get back into... Have you ever had the issue of you, you played a game a bunch, you liked it, you want to get back into it, and it's hard to? Yeah, I feel, I feel um, I have been trying to do that with Pathfinder Kingmaker. I really want to finish Pathfinder Kingmaker. Um... I don't think I'm all that close, unfortunately. Um, but I, I guess I honestly think the problem is I'm too good at D&D &D for this game to work well for me. Um, which is to say that just, like, it is tactically correct to, like, pre-buff yourself with haste. Because I, like, the contours of playing against a computer is different than the controls of playing against the GM, right? right? Um, and so walking into every scene, or like walking into every situation and seeing, oh, there's a bunch of Cyclops zombies in the next room, buff, 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 then walk in, start combat, so I'm not spending rounds of combat on casting buff spells, and then just like annihilating these guys. Um, it's just like, it trivializes the content, but it's really hard for me not to engage in, because like, yeah, buff spells are kind of the most satisfying spells to cast. Um, and also just because of the way that prepared spells work, it is hard not to do them. Um, anyway, so, you know. I, I have heard that, like, the later fights in that game 
like kind of requires some of that, um, at least on the harder difficulties. Um, I don't know. I just oh, like I love Pathfinder, and that's part of why I have no desire to play these games. It's like I think like my hot take is that TTRPG combat is not a great combat engine. And it is fulfilled by the fact that it's part of a TTRPG that has the non-combat stuff. It's like built to be played with dice and paper, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. And I think I agree with you. Um, I think that it's built to be played with dice and paper, and that's what makes it good. And so, kind of computerizing it. But there is something to this sort of fantasy of being able to play a game of D and D where I am all of the PCs, and there's no inter-party squabbling. There's no someone is looking at their phone and not paying attention so they don't know to be the one to make the charisma check because they're playing the bard and so fine the fucking sorcerer is going to do it even though he's not as good as the you, you like just like being able to just have total control over the party <laughs> and doing the things that you want to do with them and making the choices that you know are the best even if they are you know like have their own sort of like egos that you have to sort of like deal with there is something like immensely satisfying about that plus i just think that like the general loop of here's a dungeon you know go into it abiding by some of these sort of sorts of rules is like is like pretty good um i actually think that this does the best version of things like random encounters um or um you know traveling through sort of the overworld map which are sort of these like like tabletop fantasies that i have that really don't work and part of what makes playing as the computer great is they just work instantly for you yeah right um, because like the computer just offloads so much of that overhead, um, and combat does not take 45 minutes. It takes five. So I kind of don't really care. Yeah, sure. I'll take a random encounter. Fuck yeah. That's like experience in items. Like absolutely. Right. Uh, the only reason I wouldn't take a random encounter is if I'm afraid about, right. Like if I'm running my guys up to a dungeon that I know is going to be a hard dungeon, I don't want to waste my resources. Sure. I'll skip these random encounters or whatever. And so it's like, it's just kind of neat to engage with some of that stuff on, uh, on that kind of level so anyway i don't have it that's just i've been trying to get back into it and have been having a harder time uh with it which is unfortunate but you know this is the world we live in so yeah, yeah. no it makes sense it makes sense um all right uh anything else you want to talk about no i think we're good right. yeah well, if you'd like to reach us and tell us any of the things that we or talk to us about any of the things we talked about in this podcast, which is nerdsplaygames.gmail.com or podcast.nerdsplaygames.com. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash nerdsplaygames or uh, youtube.com slash at nerdsplaygames, uh, where these go out live. Um, uh, rate review us on iTunes wherever you find podcasts. Um, we've got a bunch of links to social accounts down in the description. Buddy, you have anything else you're looking to promote? Uh, I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. Well, in that case, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.